Well, water ski camp was a blast, as you can, as you can see. It was so fun, and um, let me just say thanks to everyone who maybe was there or not, who was involved with it. It took so many people and, and so much prayer to happen, and it was incredible. It was really awesome. I'd ask you to, um, to keep praying for Water Sea Camp, um, even now, even though it's, it's over. But, you know, the hardest, the hardest thing about camp ministry, especially the nature of our camp where it just, you know, leads up, leads up, happens, and then phew, it just is done, it's, is that it just, it stops. And it stops so fast. It's, you know, distractions of this world are just out of the way, phones are out of the way. The gospel, um, you know, intimate conversations, people are coming together who, who love each other and care for each other, and it's just this, like, massive week of a student's life, and then it just, like, halts. And so the hardest part is to really follow up with those students. And so we would ask you just to continue to pray for um, the staff and myself as we, as we try to follow up with them and say, hey, remember, you know, that decision that you made? And you told me that, you know, you were going to do this now. Like, you know, how's that going? So I ask you to keep on uh, praying for Watersea Camp. <clears throat> and so if you open your Bibles to First Thessalonians, please. Um, I guess I was given the role as evangelism director here, so it's my job to slam you guys with uh, <laughs> our duty to evangelize, but that's what we're going to do this morning, and, and, um, and I hope that it won't be necessarily that, but that we, we will all leave to, um, afterwards and think, you know, this is actually something that is essential for me as a Christian. Um, Valley Vision, I mentioned this before, but the summer students have been going through this, this prayer book, and one of the prayers that is in the book, it's it's a prayer to God, and it's asking for help to, you know, for us to leave the world before we enter the church, and and um, to live in a reality before God as we do before men. And and there's there's also one that says, "And Lord, help us be partakers of grace as well as dispensers of grace." And it's that idea of being before like a vending machine, you know, and just and just partaking, 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 and never turning around, and then and then dispensing ourselves. And that's hard to do. Evangelism is, is tricky, and it's embarrassing, and, and we can fail, and we can not know what to say, and, uh, and it's hard. Um, maybe you've heard someone say, I'll try to be gentle in this, but like maybe you heard someone say evangelism is just, like, it's not for me, actually. Like, uh, I... I just I am not built that way for evangelism, and that's actually quite common in in Christian circles to say that. Um, I remember just for an illustration. I remember growing up Tuesday nights before Awana, and just trying to slam through my verse that I need to memorize for that night, and just being like sprawled out on the couch in the living room and saying, "Mom, like I can't, like I just can't do this. I'm not able to do this." And she's and she I remember her saying like, "Levi, you know." You've been working on this for a minute and a half. Like, like you know, you can, you can do this. Just try, just try for another minute, you know. And here I am. I can quote John three sixteen. But, um, and that's that's similar to evangelism, where people say, you know, I've just, 
I can't do it. And it's not that they haven't, tr- you know, maybe tried hard enough, but they just believe the lie that they can't. And that paralyzes us. It's, you know, if you were to ask someone who says that, who has, for whatever reason, decided that they are just so beautifully designed in such a way that they are exempt from evangelism, you know, if you ask somebody, like, well, have you, like, how long you've been at this? They say, you know, well, I've been... I've done it like three times at least, you know, it's like, well, maybe you got to just try, you know, keep, keep going. Um, it's something that we do need to work on. And so as far as a, a message on evangelism, it won't be quite maybe like 10 steps on how to do so, as there's lots of writings um, for that. But more so, um, I believe evangelism is pursuing relationships where we speak words of life and the words of the gospel into their lives and, and just that's our goal, pursuing that. And so we're just this morning going to talk about the gospel, how to proclaim that, and what is evangelism, and, and how do we necessarily view evangelism. Um, so in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul is writing to the church here in Thessalonia, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but it's just an awesome, uh, a really awesome picture of evangelism. Evangelism done, evangelism um, backed up by the Holy Spirit and, and working, and then we see the fruit of that as they go on and, and, and bring that message. And so we see three things in this passage. First, in verse 4 of Thessalonians chapter 1, we see that in evangelism, we don't do the saving, and that's, that's not our responsibility to do the saving, which is discouraging when you have someone in your life and you're, you know, witnessing to and they're just, and it's just not going anywhere and we can think like, what am I doing wrong, you know? But we don't do the saving. And in verse 4, Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in our word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul says, you know, we know that God, that you are chosen as believers. We know that you have believed because our word hasn't, we've only, we have not only just delivered the message, but the Holy Spirit has come with, with his power, with his conviction, and, and we can see that. Um, and, and that we, we are told that we need to proclaim salvation, but it is, jo- it is God's job to produce that salvation. He asks us to deliver a message, and then he goes and delivers the people. And that's just the way that it's always worked. And we can kind of think that, you know, it's our job to deliver the message and then deliver the people. But he says, no, just, just declare the message that I've given you, and then I will, I will deliver the message, or I will deliver the people. And we just finished our series in Jonah. Uh, if you were here for that, and if you remember, you know, God said, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and declare my message. That, that's it. That's, that's what you need to do. And Jonas is like, I can't do that. Like, I'm, you know, these people are horrible, and I could get hurt, and it's going to be, you know. And, and so he, th- he says, I'm not going to do that. And eventually, we know that Jonah ended up there. With, uh, through a whole sequence of events, he ended up at Nineveh, and he proclaimed that message. And if I went back to say, like, what exactly did God actually ask no, Jonah to say? And it was literally, he just walked up to the city and said, I have a message for you from the God. In 40 days, you are all going to be demolished. And that's it, really. Like, we can, we can read into that and assume he also then said, 
So you need to believe in the gospel and repent from the way you are and turn towards God. But all that's recorded here is that Jonah was faithful in doing what God asked him to do. And he just went and he declared the message that he was asked to do, which is punishment is coming on you guys. And you need to turn from that. And um, so we don't do the saving, we do the proclaiming and trust God to do that. And the second thing we see from Thessalonians is that um, the faith of the believers then went forth. And so in verse 8, we see this. Paul says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not to say anything. And, And this is just proof that the gospel came to them in not only in word, but also in the Holy Spirit's power and conviction. And, and everyone, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but just everywhere, people were hearing of the salvation story that happened in this town, in the city. And then finally, the third thing we see is their message, that thing that was actually going forth and like producing fruit and changing lives. And people were hearing of like the Thessalonians and how they were just they got saved. And, and, and the message there is we see that in verse um, verse 9, halfway through verse 9, it says, you know, this is the message that is going out everywhere, how you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I'm going to come back to this verse because in that verse, that, that is our message. And that is the message that was going forth here in Thessalonia. And that is the message that, that God has given us to present. And, and we know that, that that message is working here clearly in this passage. Um, we see them that they were saved from his wrath, and they witnessed that, saved for his glory. So, just as a little rabbit trail, you might think it odd to speak on a, um, spiritual disciplines on a, verse, on a message about evangelism. But 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8 says, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so there are many ways to grow in, in righteousness, right? I, I think that everyone would say, like, I'm trying to be um, a better Christian, a more you know, steadfast, persevering Christian who walks after the Lord. And that's a, that's a great thing. And there's many ways to do that. The Lord, and the, the Word gives us things that are called spiritual disciplines to do so, to be sanctified and grow in that righteousness. Some of those things being, right, like prayer, um, gathering together as we are now to encourage one another, stir each, stir each other up to good works, um, Bible intake and repentance and tithing. And I just want to ask you, is evangelism on that list for you? When you think of things that are not just suggestions from the Lord, but like spiritual disciplines, commands for us, and you go through that list of things, you know, is evangelism, is that there for you? And I would argue that it must be. It has to be. Um, I don't know about you, but I know God has shown me how I like in every way, deflate as a, as a Christian when I remove one of those things that we just said from my list, right? And I'd say you could see this in yourself too. So prayer, you know, if I just decide 
well, not just I, but I just, I stopped praying for a, a time. You know, I just, you know, that, that fellowship is, is cut off and I'm just not interacting with my God and my salvation. I just, I, you know, it's not good. Tithing, for example, you know, if I get all the money at the end of my week, my month, and I'm like, this is, this is mine, and I'm not going to actually share this, and I'm not going to give it to the Lord's purposes. Uh, this, is, this is mine. And then I get self-focused, and I, and I start to think about myself, and I get prideful, and I, and I struggle. Bible reading, like, these are things that we need as a believer in our lives. And, and let me challenge you to make gospel sharing um, an aspect of your life. Prayer, you maybe do that in the mornings and at the supper table. Bible reading, you do that in the evening. And tithing, you do that at the end of the month. Like, where is evangelism in your life schedule? Because it needs to be. If I don't plan on reading, I, I won't. And if I don't plan on evangelizing, I just won't. Because they are things that just kind of, you know, happen. And, and, and we know that, that, you know, a lot of people don't have this in their maybe daily schedule or weekly schedule. And um, at, at our youth event d during Easter, for our Easter egg hunt, we, I asked them, you know, put up your hand if you've ever been witness to. Has anyone ever came up and, like, gave you a track or gave you a Bible or said, like, hey, I want to share the gospel with you? And out of, like, 70-ish stu students, we had two people raise their hands. And then so we started talking, and, and I read this statistic. I don't know how accurate it is, but they guessed that around 80% of um, New, Brunswick, New Brunswick residents um, claim to be a, a Christian. And that's, you know, that's not really good numbers. If we're talking about a business aspect, like, per point of view, that's, we're not doing great at that, you know? And so we, we actually looked it up at youth, and in a five-mile radius from True Life, our church, um, we looked to see how many churches are actually in a five-mile radius. And I don't know what you would guess, maybe seven or eight, but it's 18. Um, 18 churches in a five-mile radius, and, and a group of just 70 students, you know, out of two of them have only ever, like, actually been witness to of the gospel that's, that saved our, uh, us from our sins. Like, you know, that, I, I hope that you can see that you can, you know, admit, like, that, that's a problem. That's a, that's a problem. And, um, and so we'll turn to Luke 16. You know, we must be witnesses of this truth. We have to be. And that's, that's what I'm, I want to portray. But, but more than that, just, more than just being a witness of what has happened in our life, we also have to be a witness verbally. And, and words need to, needs to happen in this, in this uh, discipline. So we have to open our mouths, um, but what do we say? You know, what is our message? And as an example... Um, there's a, there's a, a kind man who lives at our apartment building. And, and just, to, just to draw this point, you know, we need to actually speak the gospel. And because lifestyle evangelism is, is something that is, you know, that happens. And, and people hopefully will see us that we are different and they will inquire about that. But at some point we actually have to say, like, I've been saved from my sin and, and from the wrath to come. And, and I trusted in Jesus and you need to do that too. And it's funny how we think that maybe we can get away without doing that. There's a man at our, our building, and we got talking a little bit, and so he knows that 
I go to church on Sunday. I think I invited him to an Easter event. And, um, you know, I get up to our apartment with Jessica, and I'm like, hey, today Adam seen me. I was carrying my Bible, you know? Like, this is, we're, we're getting places, right? And then, and, and we go further than that, and I'm at work in my car, and he comes to talk to me, and, and he says, oh, what were you doing today? And I was like, oh, I just got home from prayer meeting. And he's like, oh, and then I go to Jessica, like, like this is going, this is going really good, you know? He, he knows that we're a Christian, you know? And we can, and just continue to build that bridge, and that relationship just gets, you know, farther. And, but, and God just hopefully will convict us of that, that we need to actually at some point walk up to that man and say, I need to tell you that I have been saved from my sin and all of the wrong that I've done has been cleaned like completely because I've trusted in Jesus Christ and I've been saved from the wrath that is upon me as an as a unholy person before a holy God and, and I care about you and I've actually been talking about you maybe more than you think and, and you know, you need, to, you need to believe in this too. And it's, it's tempting to not, to just, you know, hope that people will see and believe, but that's not necessarily the way that the Lord has, has determined that that'll work. So our message, we need to actually at some point open our, our mouths and, and declare that message, but what do you say? okay, I'm here and, and I, I want to talk to you, but like what, what actually comes out? And the truth is we have a story to tell, um, a great story, a story that brings life, hope, grace, forgiveness, a purpose, identity, all kind of bundled up in our, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But how do you take all of that and, and, and present that to, that to someone, you know, verbally? And I think that it is important to share that um, that there's a wrong way to do that. And that seems maybe odd or wrong in a culture where there's no wrong questions or everyone gets a participation award, right? But there is actually a wrong way to evangelize. And, and God is um, particular. He does things a specific way. He is our beautiful um, designer, creator, And it's not upon us to figure out, you know, how are we going to make this, this happen. He has a specific strategy of how someone has moved from death into life. And so we want to figure out what is that strategy so that we can align ourselves with that and, and declare faithfully that message. And so Luke 16, this is a story of um, a rich man who, was, who died as an unbeliever and found himself in Hades, um, the state of hell before Jesus conquered death, and, and um, he kind of came up with his own maybe evangelistic method, a way that he thought for sure, you know, people will get saved. And so let's just, um, let's just read through Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. So in verse 19 of Luke 16, it says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and, and licked his sores. The poor man died and, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. 
And the rich man also died and was buried and was in Hades being in torment. And the rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus, the poor man at Abraham's side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And so then the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, to send, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I've, I have four brothers, and send them to that house so that they, he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have, the Mo they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, Moses, and Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convicted if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man here, we see, he had this plan, this idea of how 100%, for sure, his brothers would get saved. Um, and Abraham's response was, was no. God has, deci has decided how this happens. He has a specific plan, a specific strategy. And if, and if your brothers will not hear Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to get saved another way. There is not another way. And you think if we were, if there was an unbeliever here among us this morning and someone was called up from the dead and said, you need to get saved, like we would think that would happen for sure, right? And, but not only that, we as, um, as humans, we kind of come up with a bunch of, a bunch of other things that we think will work for sure for someone to get saved. And so it's interesting, like, you know, what is our message? How does, how has the Lord really laid out for us that someone gets saved? And um, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't actually really spend a whole lot of time telling us how that happens. He doesn't really teach us how to evangelize or maybe even what to say, but he, he just tells us to do it. And he says, just, just go, just go forth and proclaim. And he, we can see his example, but he has given us his spirit. He has left us his spirit, and the spirit in and through us is trying to convict the world of these three things. And so if you could turn with me to, to John, the Gospel of John, we see these three things. John chapter 16. In this portion of Scripture, we see... Um, three things that the Spirit is convicting through us. Jesus says, you know, I'm going, disciples, and they're like, you can't leave us. And he says, yeah, but it's better that I go because your Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come and, and it, within you convict the world of, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so we see that in this passage. And let's just read through that together. Uh, John chapter 16 and verse 7. 
Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Um, sadly, as I've been involved in youth ministry, we, I have seen this um, mistreated more and more and more. And not just in youth ministry, but in just our churches and our gospel events. And there's three things here. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so if we take those three things and make a gospel message from that, what would that sound like? It's really simple. It's just sin. Like, hey, um, Johnny, you have sinned, and you have done wrong in your life. And righteousness... And so that means you are blemished and you're unholy. And righteousness means that God is, is holy and he is perfect and he's never sinned. And then the third thing is judgment. And, and, and Johnny, there's judgment coming down on this earth. There's punishment coming. And you as an unholy person before an unholy God are not in good standing for this punishment. And, and listen, Jesus Christ has, has come and he lived a perfect life and, and he died and he was risen again. And now if you, Johnny, if you turn from your sin and you turn towards the true and living God through Jesus, then you can be saved from God's wrath that is coming on, on this world. And, and those are those three things that, that are essential, that have to be mentioned in, in a gospel presentation. Sin, God's righteousness, and judgment. But so often, like I said, we see this more and more where that's not just one of those things are misplaced, but two of those things are misplaced. We're no longer telling people that they have sinned and that they are in wrong and have and are of fault, you know? And we're no longer telling people that there's actually, you know, hell is a real thing. We're, we're, we're putting sin and, and righteousness, or sin and judgment behind us, and we're just elevating God's goodness and his greatness and his love and his kindness and his mercy, which is incredible. It's awesome. But God's, God's, God's mercy and his love, we, we as a, or a, an unbeliever has nowhere to kind of put that unless they understand that they have sinned and that there's judgment coming, and they, and they need that, right? Um, and, and Josh Cameron uses the, Pastor Josh uses the example of just, you know, that sucker in front of the kids, uh, in front of a student's nose, like, um, you know, us saying, you know, we've, I've believed and God has changed my life, and it is like, so good, you need it, and here's a sucker. Do you want to believe in God? Like, God is so perfect, and, he's, and he loves you so much, and he's going to make your life so good, but we never talk about how that student, like, needs God. Um, and, that's, and that's so important. So that's our, that's our message. We need to proclaim that there's sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, and furthermore, just as we bring it to a close here. We need a broken heart for the lost, and we need to understand God's wrath for what it is. We need a broken heart for the lost. I'll, I'll never forget this. I've, I think I've shared this with you maybe before, but 
John Wells is a man that is a full-time evangelist, and he discipled me for a, a short time, and we were in Halifax one night, and we were about to go um, pass out tracks, and I was shaken. I was, I was pretty nervous, because it's like a city city with, you know, crazy people that you don't see in Rasse, and, and so I was scared, and, and he just kind of stopped me for a second, put his hands on my chest, and he put his arm around me, and he just pointed to the crowds of people that we were going to go into. And he said, Levi, you need to decide right now, before you take one more step into these streets, if you really believe that every single person that you are going to talk to tonight is lost and will go to hell unless they are saved from their sin through the message of Jesus Christ. And if, and if you are teeter-tottering on that, that truth, then you're, it's going to be a wreck in there because you'll have no motivation to be in there. And it's going to be hard and you're going to turn around and you're going to walk away. And so we need a, a, a broken heart for that loss. A quote here, you may have heard it. This is a man addressing a preacher, an unbeliever professor. He's, he listened to a preacher and he said, Sir, you know, if I believed what you and the church of God say you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that that you describe. And we need a broken heart for, for the lost. We need to love that lost, and, and we need to have a, a, a proper understanding of what is the destiny of someone who is lost. And hell is not a fun thing to talk about, um, but if we understand you know, what that actually looks like, I think it's important because in youth ministry, and, and as I've talked to more youth, it's, it's portrayed so differently in, this, in our world right now. So hell is a place of, of torment, and that's, not a, and that's not a joke. Think of the rich man. He's just like, I just need one drip of water on my tongue like I'm in anguish here. And if, you ever heard of a, if you've ever heard of a Christless eternity, um, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read you a verse from Revelation chapter 14. Here, here it's talking about the wrath in, in, in hell, and it says that um, he, an unbeliever, will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured out full in full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and with sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So that doesn't sound good, but just catch that. Who is there at when this is happening? Like this, this torment is happening in the presence of the angels and in the presence of the holy Lamb. And that doesn't actually fit with maybe our idea of, of hell, right? Um, and with youth, for sure, with youth, they have believed that, you know, hell is a place with this guy with horns and the pitchfork, and, and he's just, you know, like wailing on them in, in this kind of horrible place. And that's not at all what that happens. We need to be reminded that Satan, the devil, also is cast into that place. And the punishment, the one giving that punishment is who? It's God, right? Because he he's just, and he has to do that. He is, he is bringing that punishment among people who are lost, and that punishment is, is God's wrath poured out in full strength, and that is the destiny for someone who you know and who I know who, who don't, haven't believed in the message. And that, and that changes things because God has to pour out that wrath, but he also says, hey, here's your message, go and deliver it, and my spirit will convict and, and will save people from my wrath. 
and um, you're in, in eternity, we're not just necessarily without God, but without his mercy. We're without the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ. And, and this kind of portrait of God's wrath, I, I believe, just brings so much joy and excitement and love to the story in, in Thessalonians, where Paul is just like, guys, this is working. Like, we declare the message, the spirit came with full power, and your message has now gone out to everywhere. Like, we don't even need to say anything. Like, you guys are all saved, and people are getting saved because of the message. And there's just, there's just no plan B. Um, you know, we've been called to be witnesses of God's grace in our lives, and there's not just another way that this is going to work. So just in, just in closing here, um, fishers of men, that, that idea. I remember singing a song growing up, um, I will make you fishers of men. And that is what we have been called to do. Right, God's son has taken the punishment we deserve so that we may follow him and become fishers of men. And if you think of the disciples in Matthew 4, when Jesus comes and he calls his first disciples, and he says, here, come, drop everything, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And if you think of one of the disciples saying, okay, um, you know, I'll, I'll follow you, but I don't want to do the fishing part. Jesus is like, well, this, is, this isn't going to work, right? That, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm literally calling you to leave your life, turn towards me, follow me, so that you can turn around and become fishers of men. And I think we really, really need to evaluate our lives if we think that we're following and we're not f fishing. Because if we're not fishing, how can we say that we are following? Um, evangelism, fishing for men and, and women is a spiritual discipline is one thing that we will not be doing in heaven that's our time to fish is here on earth and you know how bad some of us i believe all of us maybe will want to fish when we're in heaven as we look back and in heaven i i i really believe you know whether they can see us now or hear us now or how that works we do know that they are just like the celebration in heaven is crazy when someone moves from death to life, you know? And so they're involved in, in this somehow. And we know for sure that they believe in evangelism, right? Like they, they implore us to go and, and do that. And hell, if hell is anything like it was before Jesus conquered death, back when the rich man went to Hades, you know, and he was looking back at his brothers and he was like, can you please just like rise from the dead and go tell them because if they see you raised from the dead, like, they will be saved. And so we know if, if hell, as we know today, is anything like it was in Luke 16, people in hell believe in evangelism, right? Way more than we do, probably. And, and Jesus commands us to go. The fields are white with harvest. People in heaven believe in evangelism. People in hell believe in evangelism. And, you know, do we believe in evangelism? Is that something that we see as our, like, duty as a believer to do? Um, just in closing, we'll turn back to 1 Thessalonians and we'll just read that verse. I hope, that, I hope this morning that you were reminded that um, the pursuit of souls, the pursuit of lost souls is central, absolutely central to the pursuit of Christ. And us as trying to become more like him 
grow in, in godliness, you know, how does that actually really happen if we're not actively pursued in, in being fishers of men? In First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 1 9, we read of this to, to open. How Paul said, you know, we know that you are saved because we delivered the message, God brought the power, and now your message is going forth. And the message that was going forth, let's read it again. It says, How you turned to God from yourself and idols to serve the true and living God. And now you wait for his son from heaven, whom was raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right? This is the message. And it's so clear, and, and this in Thessalonians was working. You, people, you were, the message was turn fr- to God from yourselves because Jesus was raised from the dead and can save us from that wrath to come. That's the message. And so we'll just close in prayer. And, and um, you know, that person, if there is that person in your mind, I know there is, um, we need to be faithful to share that message. Yes, by walking in a way that lines up with our message, but having a message that is out there. So that when we meet someone, we say, I'm a believer and this is you know, the gospel. And then as you walk, you are intentionally trying to walk to back up you know, the new life that is in you. And, and, this, and it works. It works. We've come up with so many ways today where we add this to the gospel message or we take this away or we do it this way. And God says, no, it's always been the same way. I, you deliver the message faithfully that I've given you. I will deliver the people. And then walk as a Christian. Follow me and continue to be fishers of men. So.